0: Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would talk about some recent movies that I've seen in TV shows and documentaries. Mainly, I want to talk about Black Klansmen and Crazy Rich Asians, because those are uh, in the news cycle right now. So let me introduce the podcast. This is the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and also a avid movie watcher. This first movie is Black Klansmen, directed by Spike Lee, of course, produced by Spike Lee and Jordan Peele, among other people, Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame, written by Spike Lee and a few other people, and it's based on a book by Ron Stallworth, which is an autobiography, and the book is called Black Klansmen. and it stars John David Washington, who is the son of Denzel Washington and I did when I saw this movie when I saw this movie I thought the I thought the lead actor in this movie was the um I can't remember his name but he's on SNL right now um I thought it was him I thought he looked like him but uh I was wrong it's actually uh Denzel Washington's son which is exciting to see he doesn't particularly look like Denzel it must look like his mom Also starring Adam Driver, but he kind of sounds like his dad at times. Uh, He has a similar accent. I'm not sure where that accent comes from. Uh, It sounds sort of like uh, Midwest, I'm not sure, or Chicago. I'm not sure. Anyway, Uh, it also stars Adam Driver, who I love. I think he is one of the best actors of our time. He is also interesting. If you can um, uh, watch some interviews with him. Uh, interesting life, interesting guy, and uh, I just I just like him. Also stars Laura Harrier and Topher Grace, who incidentally plays David Duke and looks exactly like David Duke did back then. Also incidentally, back around uh, the time that David Duke was in the news, I think he was running for president, he was running for nomination in um, 92-ish time during the... The election that Bill Clinton won, uh, I believe David Duke was in the news as trying to get the nomination for the Republican ticket. But anyway, um, I hated David Duke and was, you know, very upset about the fact that he had any political power and that anyone was listening to him because David Duke was a, a known Ku Klux Klansman and that is obnoxious and horrible to be like a Nazi running for, for office or something. It's like, um, no, that's one fine. You can run because surely no one will support a Ku Klux Klansman running for office. That's absurd, right? That's just like, there's no way that would happen. But of course it did because it was in, I think, Louisiana. And so uh, I wrote a song actually, about David Duke, just called Duke. And it was a loud, angry song. Just I can't remember the lyrics. I can kind of remember the the guitar part. It had this lick that was up sort of high. Anyway, uh, back in my college days, Rotten Tomatoes, Black Klansman gets 96%, which is, as you know, extremely high. Its, it's budget was 15 million, just 15 million. So uh, that is not much money for a movie, and at box office thirty million, which surprises me. I would have thought it would be more, but um, I guess I guess a lot of people aren't going to this movie, even though it's amazing and it's a major movie and Spike Lee and blah blah blah, and it's entertaining. It's a fun movie. It's it's one of the most entertaining Spike Lee movies that he's ever made. Uh, and again, ninety six Rotten Tomatoes. It's really it, it's 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 a fun movie. Um, if if you haven't seen it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil it i might spoil some little things in it but there's not really much to spoil because um anyway the point is is that that i'm trying to make is that it is a uh fun funny light but heavy at sort of about it's about a heavy topic but it can be quite light at times or throughout the movie I, i would say overall it's It's sort of a black comedy in some ways, but it's a real story. So it's like a black comedy about our life, about our society. It's mostly a true story about a black officer who works to infiltrate the KKK in Colorado. Uh, And David Duke, uh, being of the national KKK organization, eventually works his way to Colorado. And there's some uh, scenes there. Spike Lee, I just want to talk about Spike Lee's movies for a second cuz I've I've been following him ever since he uh, made Do the Right Thing and I have liked him and liked his style and liked the the um envelopes that he pushes pushing the envelope. Um and so I just want to talk about the movies that, that I like by him. I've I've seen I've seen most of his movies um but just starting in the beginning so I saw do the right thing when I was in college early college and I remember really liking it I remember thinking it was like nothing I'd ever seen before about a group of people I'd never seen a movie about before the the way that the conflicts and the the heat you know it's the hottest day in Brooklyn New York and Every, and you got the pizza shop owner, and you got all these other people, and and it's just, um, it's just a, it's again, it's sort of a black comedy. I think Spike Lee does really well when it comes to that that sort of movie. Um, I guess in a way, you could say that Black Klansman is almost like in a similar tone as Do the Right Thing in some ways, because it's there's like all these super absurd things that are happening in the movie, and you're just like, oh my god, is this happening right now? Um, so I uh, – so that was my introduction and then I remember Mobetta Mo Blues and Jungle Fever and and then Malcolm X. And so so he made – those are four movies he made in a row. <laughs> I mean just look at that in terms of your – your uh, you know, he had some movies before that like he had School Days in 1988. I actually did not like that movie. I gave that a four out of ten. I might even give it lower than that. I mean it's, it's Spike Lee trying to find his place. And uh I think you can definitely see how he's developing his craft, but um and you can see how it's like the precursor to do the right thing, but I think he learned a lot of lessons when he made school days and then so he made school days in eighty eight, then he makes Do the Right Thing in eighty nine, then he makes Mobetta Blues in ninety, then he makes Jungle Fever in ninety one and Malcolm X in ninety two. So in four years he makes four of the most iconic movies in america do the right thing Mobetta blues jungle fever malcolm x malcolm x is amazing i i gave all four of these movies seven out of ten i might even give give malcolm x and do the right thing a little higher i'm not sure if i haven't seen him in a while then cricklin and clockers i really like clockers in 95 uh, i gave that a seven he got game with Denzel 98 and um alan is in that movie Summer of Sam 99 I also gave I also gave that a 7 as well. Uh it's about the um the serial killer in New York and uh and about other people. Again, sort of a dark comedy. There there's different sorts of people, you know, they they had like these um these like really close-minded Italian guys and then um anyway, I I liked Summer of Sam. 25th Hour came out in '02 with Edward Norton. Um, I originally loved this movie and then I rewatched it within the last year and did not like it. I mean, it's it, it's got its its good moments, but I gave it a 5 out of 10. Um, not a huge fan of that one. Inside Man with, I think, Clive Owen is in that movie. Uh, 7, I gave that a 7 out of 10. Um he made a lot of other movies recently that I haven't seen. He made Old Boy. He directed the American version of Old Boy, and I just have to say that it's boring to me. <laughs> I know that people love this movie. They love the Korean version. I think it's Korean original, and uh, I just, I just don't get it. I don't get the uh, appeal. I it's, it's boring. Um, Black Klansman. I gave a nine. I, I out of all of Spike Lee's movies I think Black Klansman is by far the best it's him it's Spike Lee at his best um, artistic expression the the movie is very clear and clean like a lot of his movies kind of get out of control in my in my and and maybe that's the appeal to some people they just like that the movie just gets you know just goes off the rails or how it kind of gets chaotic and And has sort of weird chunky moments and rough rough edges to the movies, but Black Klansman is very slick. The the movie you know there's 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 I can't think of any rough edges to that movie. It's a very clean story. It's very clean cleanly directed. Uh, You uh, it's it's understandable. It's a true story. There's nothing crazy about it. It's just you know it just tells this this. this very interesting real story. I mean, that's the thing. It's a real story, and, and it's and it's a very interesting real story. I also think that the way that the writing and the directing and the acting came together, it it is just a a masterpiece. I think. Um, I'm. Uh, it's probably going to be in you know one of my. It's probably going to be in my top three movies of the year. I'm guessing. Uh, I, I just really liked it. Uh, I don't know about the rewatchability of the movie, honestly, but as an experience, going because I didn't really know what to expect. I, you know, I had an idea of what the premise was, but uh, when as I was watching it, I was like, "Man, this is this is a fun movie. <laughs> I am having a fun time." And then there were these moments where you just have these profound emotional experiences regarding race in our country. I mean, there are just these spikes of just like bone chilling um, expressions by a master of directing and and you just get this sense of just like oh my goodness i mean there's there's uh, this moment where a speaker comes to town a uh, african american activist gives this speech and that whole scene is just so masterful there's all these decisions that spike lee makes in in the crafting of that scene that it's just, it's beautiful. And then there's a scene with Harry Belafonte, um, juxtap- juxtaposed to these other scenes that are happening. That is also just, I mean, it, in a hundred years, I suspect that when they look at cinema of our decade or our the first half of our century, there will be scenes out of this movie that people will know. They'll be like, oh, you know, of course that one scene. You know, it's like. When we look at uh, movies from the mid 20th century, you think of Humphrey Bogart, you know, play it again. And, you know, we always had Paris, you know, there's just certain scenes that you just really say, okay, you know, or you think, uh, you know, I am your father, you you just there's certain scenes where, or the opening scene to Saving Private Ryan, for example. And I'm worried, though, because I feel like not enough people are going to see this movie because... They think it's you know a depressing, sad movie, or they don't want to. You know, they're not. They're sort of overloaded on uh, black rights or something. And and I just have to say that um, I I don't know. Like, see it. It's good. It's fun. That's the thing about it. It's not. It's not beating you over the head. There are moments where you could argue it's beating you over the head, but it's done in such a natural, well produced well-directed well-acted way that you, you just doesn't feel like it's beating you over the head you actually i you actually i mean for me anyway i felt like i was i was transported in those scenes um and uh, and there's several moments like that where it, it just feels i don't know i thought it was good so uh nine out of ten for me it uh, some some people are criticizing the movie because they say that it's too nice to white people because basically in this story, you have uh, a black cop who lives in a mostly white community in Colorado, and he is in a police force, and he's the first black guy in the police force. It's all white people. And so he uh, – you know, there's some discrimination there, and then he has to infilt- – then he decides to infiltrate the local chapter of the KKK, and of course it's all white people in the KKK. And so so – the movie isn't like a bunch of black people. There's not a lot of black characters in the real. This is a real story. You know what I mean? So um, and what ends up happening is that the black cop ends up uh, befriending and getting allies in the police force who are white to help him fight the KKK. And uh, the way it comes across is, is that some white people are bad and some white people are good and so there's a um or some white people are on the wrong side of politics and some white people are on the right side of politics and so some people are criticizing it because they basically make the cops out to be to be mostly good and they think that that's unrealistic you know they think that um cops have um are are much more likely to be bad and racist and this kind of thing Because essentially, the white police force, for the most part, supports the black police officer in his attempts to um, infiltrate the KKK and find out information. Um, Also, the way that Spike Lee or the writers decided to write the KKK members, they seem pretty exaggerated. You know, they're sort of cartoonish. Um, Think of like, you know, Southern yokel idiots who hate black people. You know, it's just real characterization, real cartoonish and so they criticized that cuz Cause, cause what the what the criti- critics are basically saying is like this lets white people off the hook. And honestly what i from the little bit of you know reading i did it was it was all white people who were saying this by the way. I didn't see any black people saying this. It was all white people saying and maybe black people are but but i only saw white people who were saying that you know they would write in the article as a white person blah blah. blah. And <clears throat> they are Uh, They were saying that this movie lets white people off the hook because it uh, makes white audience members uh, uh, able to identify with the good white cops rather than um, identifying with these cartoonish KKK people. And what the critics are saying is like, well, you know, white people in the audience shouldn't be left off the hook so easily. You know what I mean? And really I there's something about that argument that I just it just really bothers me. I mean, one, why do white people have to identify with the bad guys? You know, why, why why does a movie about a a black police police officer who investigates the KKK successfully by the way, um with the help of of white cops. I mean, it's clear in the movie that This is the black police officer's mission to do this. Like, he's the one who instigates the whole thing. He's the one who does the whole thing. And he gets white people on his side, you know? And uh, so it's this, um, you know, it shows a lot of agency for the black cop because that's what really happened, apparently. You know, this guy wrote this book. And so, anyway, um, when, when we make a movie about this real story, why should one of the main messages or main purposes be to make white audience members feel like shit? (laughs) I mean, who who may or may not be guilty of such things. We are all guilty of racism, black and white people, by the way. Now, of course, white people are more uh, problematic because they hold the power and their racism uh, towards blacks, Produces much more uh, harm to Black people, for sure, just because of a majority, and also white people uh, being in places of power and keeping white people in places of power, for sure. I mean, it's not like a, it's not a, it's not an equal thing. But we're, but we're all guilty of racism. Uh, Asians are, Black people are, white people are. Every everyone is guilty of racism. Uh, so why should the Black people, you know, why should the white audience members? i don't know it just seems like a weird criticism to me um particularly because what i believe the movie did is it it actually this the 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 beauty of this movie and, and i think it's a combination of the way it was written and the way it was directed is that you get a you get a real sense of what it's like to um live in america i guess is the thing it's like there's nuance to it. There are people who turn the other way. There are people who actively work against other people. There are there are uh, politicians that are very slick and then you have like the the yokels who aren't very slick and you have the systems of power and you have uh you know black people that are trying to make a difference and and they're sticking together and then they have their own prejudices about other people. Like it, it spikely has always been good about and this is why do the right thing is so great because in some way he uh, he helps everyone to he gives everyone a chance i guess is the thing and you get a sense that uh, spike lee has affection for everyone in in the film even even one of the kkk members there's there the main kkk so there's a kkk so the local chapter of the kkk the the leader of that local chapter is portrayed, I think, pretty well. I, th- I mean not well, but uh, favorably or likable. comes off as likable. Certainly, there are other KKK members that are that come across as um, very unlikable and comedically unlikable. but um, anyway, so so to say that like, because essentially what these critics are saying is like, there sh all the white cops should have been working actively against the black cop or something, or the KKK members shouldn't have been so comedically racist. But to me, um, I mean, the gestalt of this movie, I just have to say, is not that the KKK or racism is over, by the way. Like, when when the the final five minutes of this movie is is so intense that this thing because what he basically does spike lee is he skips forward in time to now and he shows real footage of kkk and neo-nazis doing horrible things and it's just this onslaught of like oh my god this is still happening, you know, because you're watching this whole movie. And it's like, oh, it wasn't this quaint. This happened so long ago. W- weren't they so stupid back then to to, ha- to have KKK? And, oh, it was so funny back then. And, oh, so silly. And then all of a sudden, boom, Spike Lee is just shoving stuff in your face, these, these news clips, real news clips. And you're like, oh, my God, this is still happening. I mean, it is – it's – like I said, it's just bone-chilling. The, and the way that he edits and the sound design and all that at the end is just so powerful. I mean, I was I was deeply moved by this movie. I mean, the way that it all comes across. So the gestalt of this movie is not that we're off the hook. Uh, you know, it's not that white people... You don't get the sense that white people are somehow off the hook. Uh, the other thing about the whole... Uh, thing that this movie portrays, I think accurately is um, many white people have participated in the fight for racial equality. Many white people have even died for racial equality. When Martin Luther King marched in Selma, there were many white people who marched right by him. And there were some white people who were were even murdered uh, in uh, that effort In and around the Selma uh, Bridge incident, there were many uh, people who were murdered, including some white people. Some of the people who died in those marches, in those efforts, were white people who knowingly put themselves in front of danger because they wanted to fight for racial equality. Racial equality and racism is all of our problem. We all have to work on it. It's not just for black people, okay? It is all of our problem. And white people, since the beginning of slavery in our country, have been fighting for it. I have uh, I've learned that I come from Quakers. I have a pretty strong Quaker uh, lineage that goes back to the 1600s in uh, emigrating uh from uh, the UK to the United States and they hated slavery they they never owned slaves and they spoke up against sla- slavery they snuck slaves out of the south on the underground railroad to the north uh, you know uh, so and these people were putting themselves in harm's way and i'm sure many were harmed by government or uh, by slave owners or whatever, and uh you know there 's always been white people now, were there enough white people? No, <laughs> there should have been more white people and and of course, you had white people who stole actual human beings from uh Africa and dragged them across the the ocean to to put them in in generations of slavery and you know those were white people doing awful things, but but it it's not as if white people haven't been fighting and so in this movie you get that sense of like okay at the center you have a black man who is fighting for black rights and he has he manages to get other white people to fight with him and the other thing is is it's not as if white people don't experience marginalization and harm uh adam driver plays a jewish a character a a and he you get the sense like, well, yeah, I mean, the KKK hates my people, too. And so I'm all for this, you know, um, so it's it's not white black people aren't the only uh, targets. Right. Um, and sometimes white identities are are absolutely in line. I mean, just, you know, think about World War Two anyway. Um, actually so along this line um a student of mine was just telling me a, a story about that they had heard uh, and there's a neighborhood near or there's an island near near Seattle or called Vashon Island and um they had heard the student had heard the story about how the this japanese family had uh, grown strawberries out, out there and had done some something kind of interesting in terms of the the practice of strawberry farming, or something. But then, during World War II, they were imprisoned by the, uh, you know, government of the United States because of racism. And when they got back, they uh, managed to get their farm back. And I was guessing that white people on Vashon Island must have preserved the farm for them while they were imprisoned, because in other communities that didn't happen. And so. Uh, so, so there's many stories of, and so this is what I want to say: the story of, of World War II and Japanese Americans being imprisoned, American citizens born in the United States being imprisoned by the by the federal government, without hardly any protest by white people. By the way. Um, there were there – was there's many things to say about white people in America in response to that. Most people did nothing, uh, m- and then there were a small amount of white people who actually made it happen, right? You have Franklin, Donald, Roosevelt, and other people who actually pushed for this sort of thing. And so uh, so you have a small number of white people who, who got it done. You had uh, – you also had a number of white, white people who hated Japanese people. And were very scared of them and racist against them and attacked them and wouldn't hire them and, you know, would burn their, you know, houses down. And then you have a a vast sea of white people that did nothing, either because they didn't care or they were passively racist or scared of doing anything. But then you have a small number of white people during World War II who actually actively helped Japanese uh, American citizens by either go, you know, doing legal things or preserving the property of Japanese Americans while they were being imprisoned, or by um, uh, helping them get out once they were, you know, there's, there were a lot of things. So, so you have the full breadth. So you can't just say, oh, white people need to feel like shit because of what happened in World War II. No. What what we need to say is that what there were there was there was a wide variety of responses from white people during World War II to the imprisonment of Japanese Americans. And it's the same when it came to and when it comes to black-white relations in the United States, you have you have the same spectrum. You have some white people who are uh actively fighting against uh, equal rights. You have some who are just passively letting it happen. You have some who are unknowingly letting it happen. And then you have some white people who are actively fighting against racial inequality and putting their lives on the line. And so this movie portrays that. You have have all those characters. Now, what some critics would say is, well, there weren't enough bad white people in the movie. And, you know, I guess you could make that argument. But to me— the movie needed to make some sacrifices in that reality in order to make it entertaining, I guess. Because I was just trying to think like, well, where would you put a white person in there that was of that sort? And it's just like there weren't enough characters to provide that anyway. Um, okay, so again, just to conclude about this movie, um, it's uplifting in a way. It's also simultaneously terrifying it's very moving uh there's there there's a again when the activist is giving a speech that's one of the most like amazing scenes i've ever seen in a movie and then all the stuff that happens at the end including the news clips is just like this whirlwind of reactivity for me very moving it's a funny movie and I think it's educational too. I think you, people you can learn about um you, I I learned how the KKK works in some ways cuz I didn't really know how, you know, I don't know much about it and so you get some you get some behind the scenes looks to the KKK, you know, and about um uh domestic terrorism in some ways. Um okay. So that is that movie. Let's take a break. When we get back, I'll talk about Crazy Rich Asians. All right, we're back from the break. All right, let's talk about Crazy Rich Asians. Directed by John Chu, who is Taiwanese-American, born in California. John Chu directed this movie. He's mainly known for directing the Step Up movies, um, of which I didn't know until... Looking it up, that there are several Step Up movies. Uh, the Step Up movies are about dancing. They're, I think, they're rom coms. I think I've seen the first one. I think the first one has Channing Tatum in it, and it's all about it's rom coms about dancing. <laughs> and uh, if you're into that sort of thing, then you probably love those movies, and you know all about John Chu. And if you're not, then you have no idea who John Chu was, just like I didn't uh john chu also directed now you see me too which uh if it was anything like the first one i'm sure it was a, an atrocity and he also directed "Gem and the holograms a, a real real you know non-animated real life version of "Gem and the holograms if you remember that cartoon back in the day uh, crazy rich asians the movie was based on a book by kevin kwan of the same name it stars constant Wu. Constance Wu. I I want to talk about Constance for a little bit. So she's the center of the movie. You know. So the movie, again, I'm gonna not spoil much because there's not really much to spoil. But the movie is about a um, a, a Chinese American girl who was born in the United States, um, and her and she meets a a Chinese fella who is very rich and she and he invites her to singapore to a wedding uh, his like best friend's wedding and uh she this this american chinese girl gets to meet his family who are all these crazy people and and uh she gets to meet all these crazy rich uh, um, crazy and rich people in singapore (laughs) And she, you know, it's a fish out of water rom-com, essentially. So Constance Wu, the girl, she is at the center of all this and, uh, you know, needs to carry most of the movie. And she is, she's amazing. She's an amazing actress. I mean, just there, there's this one scene where she's really sad and, and she has to cry. And it seemed so real to me. I mean, the t- the way th- – there's a certain way that people cry in movies that always – I can always tell it's like, oh, this is what they do when they act cry. There's a way that when you actually – like the next time you actually see a human being cry in your real life, like if you're a therapist and you have a client or something, um, I feel like I see people cry every day as a therapist and as a professor. Um, you know, st- students and clients and supervisees are crying all the time, which is great because motion is good. And there's a and I ha- so I have a lot of experience seeing people actually cry. And I, I I, can, there's a big gap between that, you know, the way people actually cry and the way people cry in movies. Well, the way Constance Wu cries in this movie, it seemed so genuine. It w- I mean, it must have been some heavy method acting from her in those situations. Cause it was just like, cause the thing that, you know, maybe if you're not a movie sort of behind the scenes buff, like I am, the thing that always is, uh, makes it hard for these actors to do this sort of thing and do it well, is that for these big budget movies, they often will, um, you know, you're, you're sitting in your, tra- you're, you're an actress, you're sitting in your trailer and you're getting your makeup on and, you know, someone's doing your hair and you're tired and you're waiting around and, you know, and then someone comes to you and says, you know, you, you got half an hour till you're seen and you're like, okay. And then some, some gets delayed cause some light doesn't work. And so two hours later you get dragged onto the set and you're, you know, you're sort of like, wait, what am I doing? What's my character? <laughs> cause you're you. And then now it's okay, now you have to suddenly become this other character and then you sit down you, and then there's all these directors and assistant directors and key grips and camera guys and light guys and sound guys and, you know, set guys and uh, script people. And, you know, there's just all these people and they're all just and all those people are just kind of wandering around living their lives trying to do a job. But they don't really care about you and your stupid scene. They're just, you know, they're just thinking about how, how do I get through this day because I'm at work. And so everyone's in different states of emotion and the director, you know, might have a lot of different things on their mind you know, the, the lens has to be just right, or the lighting seems a little funny, or there's a no, there's an airplane flying overhead. It's driving everyone crazy. And so you come onto the scene and, and now you have to all of a sudden, you know, go act and you have to somehow like one act to remember your lines, three you have to act in line with the last scene that was in the script, which might actually not be shot until five weeks later. You know, you might shoot the movie in reverse because of budgetary and production issues. And so you have to somehow know like, where am I in the story right now? And, and what would my character, where would that my character's uh, emotional arc be in this situation? And, And there are just several moments in this movie where I just saw this, this just um, wonderful Asian um, face <laughs> acting so well. Like there's, it was so there's a certain genuineness I would say, I guess, that she brings to acting. Like you get, you get a sense that this is it's a real character there, and you, you can tell that she puts in little quirks and mannerisms that no director could tell you to do. You know. So I I just thought she was great. And it was even more apparent because the acting around her is just so, some of it is so bad. I mean, it's written bad and acted bad. And I think directed bad. I mean, so to cut to the chase, I liked this movie for the most part, but there were some parts of this movie that I just thought were so boring and and so melodramatic. I'll get to that in a second. But, I mean, it's a rom-com, so what are you going to do, I guess? But, I don't know. There are good rom-coms. I, I feel like rom-coms have gotten better and better and better. I mean, you could you could argue that, like, uh, Trainwreck was a rom-com, right? And, there were you know, that was a really funny, touching, you know, fast-paced movie that, that didn't have a lot of clunky moments. Well, Crazy Rich Asians has some just huge swaths of horrible... <laughs> Horrible movie making, in my opinion, writing-wise, anyway. Um, anyway, so Constance Wu was amazing, and um, I am excited to see her in future things. Uh, for those who don't know who I'm talking about, she, she is most famous, I think, for the uh, co- TV comedy Fresh Off the Boat, which is a funny movie or funny TV show. She plays the mom. She is arguably the... Um, star of that show i don't know and then the uh, romantic interest is hen played by a man named henry golding i that so this movie crazy rich asians is very you know people are seeing it a lot now and so all of a sudden people are stopping me on the street and saying i look like this guy Um, (laughs) i mean at first so so i'll tell you my little journey with this so at first my um I, i have a so I had a white uh, relative, an older white relative, uh, come to me a few days ago and say, "You look just like the guy in Crazy Rich Asians." And f- coming from a white person, uh, I, I'm always like, "Oh boy, like I, you know, Asian. All Asians look alike to white people, and you know." So I, so I was, so I, I just figured that it was that. I was like, "There's no way I look like that." guy. A guy. Like one, I'm not good looking enough to be in a movie of that sort. So uh, so I'm guessing it's just because I, I'm Asian and therefore I, you know, I, it's believed that I look just like this guy. So I ignored it. I actually didn't even look up his picture because I because I just figured there's no way I look anything like him. <laughs> and then I'm walking down the street and a total stranger and an Asian person, by the way, uh <laughs> full asian person i think she was i think she was philip you know i'm not sure she uh stops me on the street and says oh my god you look just like the guy from crazy rich asians (laughs) and i'm like huh maybe i'd i better look up this guy's face because maybe i look maybe i look like him and um yeah i would say that um I, in terms of like the, my, the shape of my skull is similar to his. And, and I mean, so he's half Asian, by the way. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of us half Asians look alike, you know, there's just certain qualities that you get in a face when you mix Asian uh, DNA with white DNA. And um, one of the versions that you get is, um, <coughs> A face like mine, uh, and a, which is apparently a face like Henry Golding's. Anyway, um, and I'll get more into uh, the halfness of that in a second. Gemma Chan, Aquafina, Nico Santos is in this movie, and he is from the TV show Superstore, which I enjoy quite a lot. There's not a lot. Of, uh, there's. There, I don't. I'm not. I don't watch a lot of TV. TV like where you sit down and you go to your. You know your recorded shows and watch something and superstore is i guess probably one of the only tv shows that i watch besides the americans but that's over now but anyway uh nico santos is from that that show if, so if you're a fan of superstore you know what i'm talking about he's great in that lisa lu uh plays the grandma she, you might remember her from joy luck club ken jong from community and the hangover movies he's hilarious michelle yo you might remember from crouching tiger hidden dragon and Jimmy Yang is in this uh, movie. You might remember him from Silicon Valley and also from his stand-up com- uh, comedy acts. Uh, budget, $30 million in box office. So far, is 53000000 million. I'm sure it's going to go up from there. Rotten Tomatoes gives its 93%. Um, I think this is overblown uh, because I, I gave it a 6 out of 10. <laughs> I, I might even... If I watch it again, I'm guessing it would even go down to like a 5 out of 10 or something. I mean... To me, a six out of ten means it's a good movie. It, you know, it's it means absolutely watchable. You're gonna enjoy yourself for the most part. It's not gonna be a waste of time, um, but it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and like I said, there are some rom coms that I think uh, can be actually masterpieces. Um, I thought Trainwreck was. Hilarious and moving and interesting and I don't know. Uh, there's other rom coms that are like that as well that I can't think of at the top of my head. Um, so yeah, ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean that is strange to me given the the clunkiness and the melodramaticness of this movie. I think that it's overblown uh, due to two factors. One, I think people are sick of heavy movies, and I think that when people go to this movie, they're like, okay. It's an all Asian cast, and um, you know there, there's going to be a lot of talk about racism and how white people are d- terrible and stuff. And there's really all there's some of that. There's like it. It kind of starts with that. Like there's this scene in the beginning that's kind of like that. But but for the most part, the whole movie it's just a straight up rom com, like you could replace all those characters with white people and that wouldn't really change the story at all. Like you could make them all like crazy New York or crazy Long Island white people or something. And, and it would have been like the exact same story and all the beats would have been the same. I mean, certainly there are elements to this movie that make it particularly um, Chinese, but uh, you know, the food and the games they play and the kind of, some of the things they talk about, but really, I mean, this is an American rom-com is, is, so I think people are like sick of all the heavy movies and they just, they just want to sit down and watch something easy. Um, and also I think that, um, they thought it might not be easy. And so I think a lot of people are like, Oh my God, this is a great movie. Cause I think, <laughs> um, there aren't a lot of easy movies, uh, lately. Also, I think, people are upping their rating because they feel bad for us Asians. (laughs) You know, I'm just imagining a white um, uh, movie reviewer for the Chicago Sun Times or whatever, and he goes to this movie, and he's just like, okay, you know, it's got its rough moments. But man, I mean, what a great movie to see in our times where it's just like filled with Asians, and it's a movie about American Asians, and, and, and it's fun, and it's not... Um, it's not uh, boring and it's not preachy and it's not, um, and it doesn't have a token white person at the center. Like how great is that? And so I think it's, it's getting bumped way up in the Rotten Tomatoes ratings because of that. Um, I think a similar thing happened with, um, with Black Panther. And I, I remember talking about this. What, I mean, Black Panther is a legit good action movie. You know, it's a legit good hero movie. But again, I think the Rotten Tomatoes score was something like ninety-seven percent or something, and I was just like, "What? Like, like there are? It's a great movie, but it's not it's not Citizen Kane or whatever. You know, it's not Empire Strikes Back. It's you know, it's it's a it's a solid action hero movie, but because it involves you know mostly black people and the the celebration and the the freedom uh, that." is given to black people when you give them an entire movie you know similar to this this movie Crazy Rich Asians it's like it's so great to see Asians just being themselves you know they don't have to be that token Asian foreigner person who's really good with computers you know it's just like you got all the characters you got the the douchebag Asians and you got the old Asians and the young Asians and the the straight-laced Asians and the nice Asians and the, the dutiful Asians and the good friend Asians and the bad friend Asians. And it's just nice to see, you know, and I, and, and, and so I, I commend it for that reason, for sure. I mean, as an Asian person, my God, it's just like, it feels great. But on the other hand, it's like, I don't think it deserves a 93% rating. (laughs) I just don't think it's that good. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, uh, it's a rom-com. And like I said, it feels really great to see Asians um, in a lot of different characters. Uh, and it's similar to when I saw Mulan 20 years ago. And I was like, oh my god, a Disney movie about people like me. I mean, it was it was very moving to me. Um, I remember watching Mulan uh, 20 years ago. And like half of the movie I was crying. There's just something about, there's something deep when you see, you finally see something that represents you. And if if you're a white person out there, I hope you can really hear me on this. And, and maybe you have some, like if you're a lesbian, uh, you probably have a similar experience when you watch a lesbian movie, a movie that's made for lesbians, you know, that's about lesbians, for lesbians. You know, if you're, if you're a white person from, uh, that lives on a ranch, for example, and, and there's a movie about someone who lives on a ranch, like it just feels like, Oh my God, like even if the movie isn't that good, there's just something really great about seeing it, seeing those sorts of movies, you know? And, um, for me, it's, it's always been, it's often been around Asians and, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's not, I'm Japanese. Okay. So, uh, this is a Chinese movie. Mulan is a is a movie about a Chinese story, and somehow it's like well, it's close enough, I guess, even though it's like, um, you know, it, it, for me to identify with Chinese people would be the same as like someone from Ohio, um, identi- a white person from Ohio identifying with Mexicans or something. You know, it's really it's even dras- more drastic than that. The there's a vast difference in in culture and identification between Japanese and Koreans and Filipino and Chinese and, uh, Taiwanese and, you know, people who live in Singapore and people who live in Guam and people who live in, uh, Hawaii, you know, there, there are just huge differences between these people. And, um, as I've said before, um, to, when you say, Oh, that person's Asian, you're you're literally referring to more than half of the world's population. <laughs> you know, like I've said before, like when we have those surveys and you have to fill out your race. You know, you have white, and you have white non you have white non Hispanic, and you have then you have Hispanic white Hispanic, and then you have black, and then you have Native American, and then you have Asian. And the to say Asian, it, that that accounts for, like I said more than half the population on the planet, uh, especially, you know, when you're including South Asian people. But even if you're just including East Asian people, you're talking about a third of the planet. And uh, it would be the same thing as if you said, I am from the Americas. Like, if, like, say you're in China and they ask you for your race and they have one box and it just says North and South America. Like, you're just from North or South America, <laughs> and you're from, you know, Ohio, you're a white person from Ohio, and you're like, wait a second, so are people in Chile, and people in Cuba, and people in Jamaica, and people in Mexico, and people in Canada, and Native Americans in, in Alaska, like we all check this same box? Well, that's what it's like when you say Asian. But anyway, since there are so few representations of Asians in movies and other kinds of things. When I finally see something like this, it really affects me. I mean, I went through a time when I watched a bunch of John Woo movies. Remember with Chalion Fat and all the the actiony movies? I mean, these are uh, like absurd action movies, and and not really my thing. But I loved it because it was just like Asians just you know just going for it in a movie. Like there's there's no white person at the center, no token white person. I mean, that was actually one problem I had with with Black Panther was that they they still had to get a white person in there and i and i realized that there was some some tongue in cheek there you know it's like oh you got to you know he's the he's the one out of water you know but on the other hand i was just like why you know just if you're going to go for it go for it do the whole thing you know and that's what crazy white asian movie does It's just like there's no white people at all i mean i'm i'm trying to think if i think there was like one white person who was sort of like in in the background in one scene, but anyway, um, and obviously when they're in the states, there's white people. But okay, so um, one thing I noticed was uh, I sit down and and I've got my popcorn. I'm ready to go. I always bring popcorn with me. <laughs> is that wrong? <laughs> I love Aaron's popcorn. Aaron's popcorn is just there's it's there's nothing. I've eaten a lot of popcorn in my life, and I Aaron's popcorn is just by far superior. Like, um, whatever second is a very distant second. Anyway, uh, I bring my own soda as well. <laughs> is that weird? Um, I just like to bring my own soda. What, you know, what are you going to do? So I'm in the movie theater, and I like this new trend of reserve seating and those recliner seats. Like, um, there's this old movie theater by my place called Oak tree. I think it's still called Oak tree. I'm not sure. It's in North Seattle and it has, it, it's been around for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And, um, for many years it had that, those regular seats and they recently switched over to the, to the recliner res, reserve seats. And man, it's so great. I just love that kick back. You know, you got that button that, you know, you, you recline back and you, you know, you you can sort of spread out, Um, Because there's nothing worse than being in a crowded movie and someone's right, you know, you got two people right next to you and like someone's breathing really heavily. I remember I was watching this one movie and this guy was breathing so loudly. And I was like, how do you, what's wrong? How come it's so loud? (laughs) Like it's just right in my ear. Anyway, I shouldn't be mean. Maybe there's some kind of condition that the guy had. Who knows? But anyway, so I sit down with my popcorn and my soda and and the previews come on. And right away, I'm like, oh, you know how normally, like, if you're the the previews are usually geared toward the audience of the movie, right? So if it's an action movie, you'll see previews of action movies. If it's a horror movie, you'll see previews of horror movies, right? And and as soon as this movie started, I was like, well, are they going to do rom coms or what are they going to do here? Because it's you know it's an Asian rom com, so what's going to happen? Well, the first one was they start off with John Cho's new movie, which is like a thriller. Um, His daughter gets kidnapped or something, and um, it looks pretty interesting. John Cho, uh, he plays Sulu in the new Star Trek. He also was in Harold and Kumar. Uh, It looks interesting. So I was like, oh, okay, that's what they're going to do. They're going to show Asian movies at the beginning of an Asian-American movie, which I thought to be kind of bothersome because it's like, um, you know, it'd be like you show a white horror movie and then you just and and, and then you show a white rom com in the preview just because it's white people, you know. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. But anyway, so they show this John Cho movie and I'm like, okay, yeah, they're they're probably that's probably correct that people who are seeing crazy rich Asians um on average are probably more likely to see John Cho's movie. Anyway, so that was interesting. Then after the John Cho's pre- the movie preview, proceeds to play a black, an all-black movie, all-black cast. And like, oh, that's interesting. So so they think oh, that non-white people are seeing this movie, and so therefore they're more likely to see this African-American movie. And then the second preview was also an African-American cast movie. And the third movie, and the fourth preview, and the fifth preview, it was all african-american previews so they start off with the john cho and it's then it's all african-american previews and you know by the fourth one i just it was depressing because one i'm thinking so they because they obviously were looking for like other asian-american movies to preview and they could only come up with one there's only one and then they're like well What else do we got to preview before crazy rich Asians? Hmm. Well, how about we just go with any person of color? (laughs) Because honestly, I don't think Asian Americans are the target market for African American movies. Like I think the target market for African American movies are African Americans. (laughs) Like now it shouldn't be that way. Like everyone should just go to see movies regardless of the race. Right. But but in terms of like marketing wise, in terms of the likelihood of someone going to a movie, I, I, I mean maybe Asian Americans are slightly more likely to go to an African American movie than a white person would, I, maybe. Um, but I don't know. That's not my sense. Um, so I don't know. It just was a kind of a sad commentary, you know, because there's been a lot of talk in the media and at the Oscars about underrepresentation of Black people in hollywood right it's like uh the first black you know director to win this thing it's been this long and stuff and i'm and i'm and i'm like well what asians aren't even being talked about (laughs) like we're not uh, we're not even being talked or we're barely being talked about in terms of how underrepresented we are and you know and it's this is and so it's like in a time when it's fairly obvious that african americans are underrepresented in hollywood and yet there are many movies focused on african americans there's not enough but there are there are many you know what i mean like and the other thing is that i started thinking about as these previews were happening was i was like i, I th- it would be a fun game to just walk up to someone and say okay rattle off as many white actors and actresses that you can think of, you know, Meryl Streep, Robert De Niro, Edward Norton, you know, you just you just start rattling off all these white people. And then you say, Okay, tell me as many black uh, actors as you can think of, you know, Indris Elba, and uh, Denzel Washington, and you know, you just start naming all these black people. And then you go, Okay, Asian, Asian actors, name as many Asian actors as you could, I would venture to say, vast majority of Americans couldn't name a single Asian actor, not one. Okay. <laughs> I would have a hard time, you know, and that's because, you know, I don't get a chance to see much of it, but I'd be able to name some, right? Anyway, so uh, it's just kind of an interesting situation. On the other hand, I'm I'm not one of those people that's just like, well, we need to pass legislation to make Hollywood make more Asian movies. You know, I I think there are bigger fish to fry, honestly, like in terms of uh, problems we have in our society. I I don't I don't think that um, making Hollywood more representative is like the top of our list in terms of what we need to be focusing on regarding social justice. I think there are people on this planet who are currently um, they can't even they don't have the luxury to even think about the racism they're experiencing because they don't have food or they don't have clean water or they don't have medical care or they um have to work 12 hours a day for you know 7 days a week or they don't have enough education to tell them to wear a condom when they're having sex i mean there are, there are people on the on the planet who are being told like really horrible things that are affecting their lives and their communities and and um and we're just ignoring that um you know like i got i did that episode about that woman in Saudi Arabia who wrote me and told me about what it's like to be a woman in Saudi Arabia and how horrible it is there and for her and how the, the legal system is essentially, it's essentially slavery. Essentially, every woman in Saudi Arabia is owned by a man, and he can do anything he wants to her, and he has total control over her life. And it, um, I, I sort of knew about that, but I, but upon reading the specifics from this listener who wrote in, I was like, oh my God. Like, cause you know, when you hear about news stories, you're like, oh yeah, it's happening far away. But when someone actually communicates with you directly and says, this is what my life is like, it, it just, you get a real sense for it. And anyway, so if, if as a society, I'd much rather have us focus on stuff like that than on Hollywood representation. I think it's important, Hollywood, and it affects things, you know, because it gives role models and um it changes people's opinions about different groups when they're exposed to them and all that. That's great. And there are much bigger fish to fry, in my opinion. <clears throat> all right. Um Crazy Rich Asians, I thought was good because the story is a very Asian story. You have over-controlling parents who focus on tradition too much, according to American notions, and uh, the parents focus on materialism too much and on how things look too much, um, again, according to Americans. Um, it's very Asian story in that uh, the kids actually truly want to please their parents. Like if this movie was made um, with an American sensibility, there. So the, the the I won't I won't ruin the movie, but essentially the climax of the movie involves not the relationship between the girl and the guy. So most rom coms, there's a girl and a guy, they fall in love, they have some major crisis in their relationship. They break up and then the very end of the movie they get back together, right? Well, this rom com is is, you know, it's no different than that. I'm not spoiling anything because you've seen the formula a billion times. But the difference with this movie, I think, is that it, it says it in a very Chinese way, in that it isn't the the climax is not between the boy and the girl. The climax is between the girl and the boy's mother. <laughs> that's the climax of the movie. It's but that's it And and it's done in a very Chinese way too, um, over mahjong, (laughs) and uh, and it's it's just really uh, it's really great in that way. Um, And it's also very it's also a very Asian story because there's tons of people, (laughs) and they're all invited. (laughs) That's the thing about about a lot of Asians is that you invite everybody. You don't like I find that white people not always. But, uh, you know, people from Northwest Europe, they, you know, they kind of know their cousins, but not really. And when they have a birthday party, you know, they invite a, invite a couple people, maybe. And they, they might not even invite all their siblings, you know, they'll just be like, eh, you know, I'll just invite my brother, you know, who, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure my sister doesn't need to be there. Um, Japanese, uh, my Japanese family and all the most of the Asians that I know, if you have a birthday party, you invite everybody, you invite distant cousins, you invite all your grandparents, you invite, um, you know, your neighbors, you know, you you just, you you don't invite everybody. It's just, you know, it's just the norm. And so family get togethers are mammoth. And you just get food, you get a lot of food, too much, way too much food you um, you just go to a, a place and you eat and drink and laugh and talk for hours. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I've talked about this before when my Japanese-American uh, relatives come to Seattle from out of town. We'll just go to the Japanese grocery store in Seattle. It's this big grocery store downtown, Wajimaia. And we just go to the grocery store and we'll hang out there for five hours. <laughs> because <laughs> it has a deli and a bookstore and all this kind of stuff but we kind of we kind of post up at at the deli there's there's this uh, there's places you can sit to eat like a cafeteria kind of place it'd be like if you're swedish uh american and when your swedish american relatives come in from out of town you just go to the ikea and you go to the where they serve um meatballs and you just sit there <laughs> And hang out there for five hours. I mean, it is exactly like that. <laughs> it's, and occasionally you go look at some stuff and, you know, oh, maybe I'll, I'll buy a new dresser. I don't know. And, um, you know, it's just this, and, and I've seen white people react to it that I've sort of let into this, you know, inner circle. And, and they'll just be like, man, you have a big family. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, well, my family isn't actually big. It's just that they always show up and we always invite them. And, um, and I find that white people, it's just like, they just, in general, certainly there are white people that do this, but in general. So, so this movie exemplifies that by just having a lot of characters. Like I read one review that where they're like, I lost track of who was who in the movie. And I found it to be very easy to keep track of who was who. I, th- I think it's, um, Possible that some white people are losing track because they think everyone looks the same, because you know in other movies, uh, like American movies, you know you'll have like the dark-haired guy and the blonde guy and maybe the black guy and maybe the Asian guy, you know. Whereas this movie, it's all Asians, and so uh, if you're not familiar with how to identify Asian faces, you might think they start, they might start to kind of blend in. Um, but uh, but you know, since I'm more accustomed to Asian faces, I, it wasn't that hard for me to keep track. Um, and the other thing about this movie that I thought was interesting in in talking to some other people was that, um, so, um, again, older white relative came to me and said, oh, you look just like the lead character. And I, I knew nothing about the movie. I think I'd seen a preview kind of once and thought. I immediately thought this wasn't the sort of movie I'd want to see. And honestly, it still isn't. I mean, the fact that if it didn't have a bunch of Asians in it, I'd never would have saw this movie. Cause it's not, it's not really my cup of tea. Um, this sort of, um, silly rom-com. That's not that interesting, you know, but anyway, um, but people love it. So, uh, you know, like I said, 90 some percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So don't listen to me. Uh, definitely go see it. I think it's worth seeing, but, um, but anyway, um, Uh, why was I talking about that? Oh, so I, so I asked my white relatives, older relatives, I was like, um, so I don't know anything about this movie. Um, you know, what sort of Asians are they? Are they Japanese? Are they Chinese? Are they Korean? You know, what are they? And they didn't know. They're like, oh, um, I think it takes place in Singapore. And I was like, well, that doesn't help me at all because (laughs) there are lots of different types of Asians in Singapore. And so, uh, so I was like, "Huh, isn't that interesting?" And then I thought, "Well," and I thought, "Well, when I go to the movie, maybe they kind of maybe they kind of muddy the waters there to make it unclear what sort of Asians they are." Well, then I go to the movie, and there are several moments where it is explicitly stated that these are Chinese people. <laughs> I mean, they they literally say Chinese or you know from China. You know, there's it's there's several scenes where it's like that, and I just find it funny that like some some white people walk out of the movie and they're like, huh, you know, th- those were just like Asians, right? The other part about this is is like, um, you know, it it's played by a bunch of Western Asians, right? Uh, Asians that are born outside of Asia raised in either the uk or united states or somewhere else and yet they're playing people who live in asia so um it's it'd be like um you know you have a bunch of african americans playing people who live in south africa or something you know it's it's um it's fine by me it's you know it's a silly movie it's fine but um it's just another part of it anyway so harry golding um yeah, he's half white and half Malaysian and uh and his Malaysian descent is as a few has a couple races in there as well because you know just saying you're Malaysian doesn't necessarily mean much just like saying you're American it's like well, there's race there's different races in America. Um and there's been a controversy a lot of angry tweets even from famous Asians saying that they're upset because the the main guy character Henry Golding is half Asian like I am and yet he's playing a full Chinese guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I get it. I I get that problem. It's like you're making a movie about Chinese people and the lead dude in the movie is not only not Chinese, but he's only half Asian. He's like half white. (laughs) He's half white English. Um, and uh and that was another problem that i was seeing on write-ups about this movie is like they they would be like he's half english and he's half malaysian and i'm like english what i mean at this point there's a lot of races in england you know white english <laughs> you know racially english because there isn't really such a thing as a as a i mean people can argue there's a an english race but when you actually study the history of the islands um there's been so much mixture of other um peoples from France and other areas that um, it's what we now call France, by the way, that it's hard to say what the English race is, you know, uh, also from Scandinavia. Anyway. um, So there's all that kind of silliness. But um, yeah, I get it. It's like, uh, I mean, I thought the guy was fine. And and I think he passes for a full Chinese person, um, kind of. And uh, but yeah, I get it. Because it's like, you're making a movie called Crazy Rich Asians, and you're two lead, of of the two leads, only one of them is full Asian. Like, there's no other Chinese American or you know Chinese British actors available. Like, it just seems weird that you couldn't have found a full Asian guy. You're like, uh, there's got to be someone out there. <laughs> um, plus, that uh, Henry Golding, and I, I'm sure people are going to hate me for this. I didn't think he was that great of an actor. I mean, I thought he was fine. I thought he did a fine job and maybe it was the writing and the directing, but he, he was, he was really a, um, uh, sub subpar to Constance Wu. I mean, Constance Wu was just acting circles around this guy and, uh, you know, I don't know if it was, that's how it was written or that's how he is, but there were so many moments when I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to reach into the screen and grab this guy and, either tell the character, you know, tell the writers, write this man some better lines, like give him life. Like he's such a, such a, I don't know, just a drip. I don't know. I mean, there, there were some scenes where some, you know, some shit goes down and he's just like, oh, please stop. Oh no, don't do that. And it's like, you want your main character to like, be like, you know, have a reaction of just like, no, you know, I don't know. Um, but maybe that's how he's acting, maybe that's how it was directed, maybe that's how it was written, I don't know. Um, it's also criticized, the movie is criticized for not representing all the races in Singapore. Um, you know, it's, it, they're, it's mainly portraying people that are uh, being said to be Chinese, even though not all of them are Chinese people. But you know, there's a lot of other races in Singapore, you got Malaysian people and Indian people. Um, in fact, there's a, I believe there's a couple, uh, p- Indians that are portrayed in the movie and they're portrayed as, as really scary and intimidating because they have their turbans on. Um, so yeah, I get it. Um, but to me, it's like, it's a rom-com about crazy rich Asians and they happen to live in Singapore. Um, I'm not sure why it even took place in Singapore. I mean, I know I, I, the skyline of Singapore is, is really uh, over the top in some ways. So maybe that's why. I mean, it's like, why not just make them Chinese and put them in Singapore or something? I don't know. Maybe Singapore, or what I say, <laughs> put them in, uh, Beijing or something, uh, or Shanghai. But the, maybe Singapore is where all the rich Chinese people go. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a rom com. It's a silly rom com about crazy rich Asians who happen to live in Singapore. And so, you know, I get that they didn't include, um, other people. I mean, the movie and one of the, you know, I don't know, sort of themes of the movie is that these people are stuck up rich people, that they are not particularly nice. I mean, even some of the good guys in this movie have scenes where you're like, Oh, um, not so good, (laughs) you know, Uh, obviously privileged, you know, Um, I, I saw someone writing about it. This is wealth porn. You know, that's a thing, right? It's it's a wealth porn movie where it's just like, look at how rich these people are and look how amazing the things that they can do, you know, like the bachelor party, uh, it has to be the most over the top bachelor party of all time, right? And, you know, they go for it in that way. And it's supposed to be like, whoa. And that's another thing about movies like this that I, it just doesn't really appeal to me is that um, I don't, I'm not. I'm not materialistic in that way. I'm I'm probably definitely materialistic, but I'm just not materialistic in the way that this movie portrays, like where it's like, there's a scene at the bachelorette party where the, the bachelorette is like, um, she's like, and guess what? We get an all a free shopping spree at the local shopping village. They're on this like tropical Island. And it, this, you know, she's like, a free shopping spree and it's like unironic right it's not they're not even making fun of her in the movie it's just like supposed to be like oh my god that's so awesome that you know they have so much money that they can just do a free shopping spree and it's not even at like you know like a major store you know like a expensive like i don't know (laughs) what are expensive stores that people go to but it's like they're on a village they're in a they're in a, you know, a, like a tropical island. So it's just like island clothes. <laughs> like they, all those people, I'm guessing, could have afforded lots of things by themselves without making too much of a dent in their pocketbook. But somehow this shopping spree. And so that's a scene where everyone goes on a shopping spree and people are trying on clothes and da-da-da. And I'm just like, you know, it's sort of like when I watched um, <laughs> Sex in the City, the movie. There's There's a whole scene about shoes and stuff. And it's just like I – it just – it's not the materialism that I enjoy, you know? Um, anyway, so uh, there's that. Um, the last thing I'll say about this movie is, or the maybe the second to last thing I'll say, is that there was this, there's, there's two main storylines. You have the main storyline between uh, the main characters. And then there's this totally secondary storyline that, really has nothing to do with the main storyline. You know, this was based on a book. So I'm guessing in the book, there were several other stories involved, right? Because in books, you can really explore lots of different storylines. Well, they decided to, in the movie, actually have one of these secondary storylines. And it was the most boring, melodramatic, badly written, badly acted, honestly, um, sequences. And they kept going back to it. I like, the second time they went back, to, they went to the storyline. It's essentially about the, the lead guys. It, he has a sister who is in kind of a troubled marriage. And it's the second time they went back to that storyline, I was like, oh, we're going, we're going back here? And I was like, okay, well, hopefully this is the last time we go back here. And then throughout the movie, they just keep going back to it. And it, it's just so, it was so boring. It almost felt like a whole different movie to me that even the lighting looked different. It was, I, I was wondering, is like, did the assistant director make these scenes, you know, to make the production go faster or something? Because it felt like a whole different movie. It was, uh, it, I mean, yeah, badly written, terribly acted. The guy, so, you know, so, you know, the sister is in this marriage with this guy and the marriage isn't going well. And the, the guy is supposed to be like, Kind of nice, but kind of an asshole, and insecure, and all this kind of stuff. And he, I believe, is um, he, English is not his his uh, native tongue. You know, like Henry Golding and Constance Wu. Um, I believe Constance Wu, they grew up speaking English. You can tell. But when it comes to uh, this character, he he doesn't, you know, which is great because this is supposed to be a movie about Chinese nationals, right? But uh, so it would be accurate. So that was another thing. It's like this is interesting that there's no subtitles. There are very few subtitles in this movie. And uh, because in reality, obviously, they wouldn't be speaking English as much, uh, presumably. Anyway, so they – this guy, this this asshole husband – He's really struggling with his lines, naturally, because he doesn't speak English that well. And one of the things that I hate about movies and TV shows that do this is um, you can tell, like, they, they really work with the actor to get them to be able to speak English well enough so that you can understand what they're saying. Because if they just said the lines, it would come across with too great of an accent, and people in the audience wouldn't know what they're saying. Well, what ends up happening, from my estimation, is the actor is so bogged down by trying to speak words that they don't really know how to say, and they're over focusing on their accent, and they're really trying hard to use the right vowel sounds, and because of that, they're not acting naturally. They're act they're acting and speaking in this very unnatural way. Like there's a way that people talk naturally in a language that is not theirs. Like, you know, you, you, you know, people do this all the time. Like you meet someone and they, they don't speak English. Say you speak, this is your native tongue. You speak English, you know, someone from France comes over and they, you know, they speak English kind of, and you know, well enough to communicate and they start talking with you. There's a, there's a certain cadence to the way they talk and yeah, there's an accent and yeah, they, their grammar isn't always great and you know, it's fine, but they're, There's a certain way that they talk that that comes across as natural. Well, in movies and TV shows, I I noticed that they um, these actors are they don't act like that. They're they're really using their brain power to make sure that they are using the right vowels. And and it just it, it was just really comical. Actually, I was just watching. I was like, ugh could this could these scenes be any worse <laughs> just like and the lessons you know that are are supposed to be taken away i mean there there's one lesson that i think is fine it's, it's sort of a feminism lesson to it which i you know i liked but there are also other lessons around like um almost like praising materialism in some way like a, and and materialism on a level beyond you know normal materialism like crazy rich materialism, you know, Um, she has these earrings that are millions of dollars and they come into play. And I'm just like, so what's the lesson here? Like, yay for you that you're, that you have millions upon millions of dollars that you can just waste on jewelry that, you know, on a whim. And it's, that's, that's your identity. It was almost like these rich earrings are my the symbol of my independence or something. I'm like, ugh, like the whole thing just, uh, <laughs> I just thought like, did anyone watch these scenes and think maybe we should just cut them? Cause the other thing is the movie is two hours long. I mean, this is a rom-com, a very simple rom-com and Hollywood just keeps making movies longer and fricking longer. And it has clearly several scenes that could have been cut easily and it would have made the movie so much better honestly like if they got rid of those scenes i would have give i probably would have given it a seven because it would have moved faster it would have focused on constance Wu, who's great the main storyline you know to get get moving on that thing and uh yeah just this so let me know if you've seen the movie let me know what you think about it because um maybe you're like oh no i love the secondary storyline because of this and i like the acting and i like this da, da, da. you know Um, feel free to share your opinion. You're wrong, by the way. Just, you know, I just want to preempt you on that. If you disagree with me, you're wrong, fundamentally. Just joking. Um, okay. So in summary, um, Crazy Rich Asians, a fun movie, a good airplane movie, I'm guessing, a good Netflix movie. If you're Asian, you probably should go to the theater and see it. (laughs) Um, uh... Another kind of good um, result of this whole thing might be that Hollywood or the producers will realize, oh, we can make movies that focus on other sorts of people other than white people and still make a shit ton of money. Um, How about we do that? And um, so there's that. In fact, this movie might have actually been made partially because they suspected it would do well in the Asian markets, which are you know, emerging in the movie um, consumer uh, market. So maybe they did it for that. I don't know. And also, uh, if you run into me, you know, make sure you say, oh, my God, you look like the guy from Crazy Rich Asians. And I'll be like, huh. Well, that, so. (laughs) well, let me, um, so when Twilight, the movie, the Twilight movies were popular, um, like when the first couple came out, uh, I had a, a lot of people stop me on the street and said and say that I looked like the, the lead guy in, in Twilight. What's his name? Um, uh, gosh, what's his name? Anyway, that guy, the guy from Harry Potter <laughs> who died at the end of uh, the fourth movie. Um, and he's white. He's like a full-on white guy and people are stopping me on the street and saying, "Oh my god, you look just like him." Because usually when people stop me on the street, they say I look like half Asians. Like they will say I look like the guy from The Crow, Brandon Lee, he's half Chinese, or they'll say I look like the guy who played The Crow in the TV show who is also half Asian. Or they'll say I look like um is there anyone else? Anyway, uh so to be have a more than one person stop me in the street and say, oh, my God, you look just like that guy in Twilight, I was like, what in the world? And so I, I looked at his face, and, and I think, again, it's the same kind of round head structure or sort of square skull structure with, like, cheekbones and, like, eyes that are kind of wide apart, or big eyes. <laughs> I don't know. Something, uh, something... I also sometimes get the Viper on um, Game of Thrones, Prince Oberyn, who was also in Narcos. Sometimes people say I look like him, which, uh, you know, all these guys are good looking, by the way. So I, I, sh- I suppose I should take it as um, a compliment in that way, for sure. Um you know, you know things will take a turn for me when people are like, "Oh my god, you look just like Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid." <laughs> uh, yeah. You yeah. know, it's interesting getting old. That's one thing. Uh and uh you know, one day I guess I'll look like Mr. Miyagi or some other old guy. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Oh, no, no, no. I wanted to actually (laughs) keep wanting to end this podcast. I wanted to briefly go over other things I've been watching. Um, I I watched the Vietnam War documentary that came out last year. It's on Netflix by um, uh, Ken Burns and a woman who worked with him. I can't remember her name. (laughs) Uh, Awesome documentary, the Vietnam War. Uh, Just a one of the best documentaries I've ever seen because it, it really, it, you know, cause it goes into American politics. It goes into Vietnamese politics. It interviews North Vietnamese army people, you know, communist Viet Cong. It really humanizes the whole thing, man. It's just, it's just a really, really great movie. Uh, I rewatched Star Trek for the voyage home, the one where they go to San Francisco and back in time and they, they get the whales. Um, charming as always but uh man um did we have different standards of uh of film uh, back in 1986 <laughs> i mean there there are some real real rough moments in that movie that uh, we we must have forgiven um i saw mission impossible fallout with uh tom cruise and i gave it a five out of ten it was it was good it was okay it it's uh, not amazing uh, it's fun uh, I might give it maybe a six, you know. Uh, good action movie. Nothing interesting happened. You know, it's not. it doesn't stick with you. As soon as it's over, you just walk away. You're like, okay, that was fun. Um, yeah. I think the Mission Impossible movies have always been good in that they don't fall into the James Bond problem. Like the new James Bond movies, I consider them to be way too self-important. I mean, the, the new James Bond movies are just like – Totally opposite of what the old James Bond movies used to be. The old James Bond movies were just like were like the Mission Impossible movies, where it's just like you got this action guy at the center, and you you know you have action and intrigue and and costumes and nice suits, and you just go for it, and the, and nothing complicated. The new James Bond movies, I find to just be annoyingly self-important. Like they're trying to they're trying to make it all kind of gritty and angry and and super heady, and it's just like God, get over yourself. Um, I saw a great movie Thank You For Your Service came out last year it star- stars uh, Miles Teller if you know him from um, uh, a lot of great movies <laughs> I'm trying to remember the different movies that he's been in but um, Thank You For Your Service uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10 it's a movie about three it's a true story actually about three Iraq veterans who come back from the war and it is interesting it is educational about post-traumatic stress disorder it is educational on oh this is what it's really like to be a vet um i have vet friends um who one of whom died in afghanistan and um I, i just found this movie to be really interesting compelling a very powerful story. So, if I recommend one of these movies, thank you for your service. Incredibles two saw that seven out of ten, fun, fun movie. Love all Pixar. Love uh, uh, Incredibles one. Uh, Incredibles two was not as good as Incredibles one, but definitely had some amazing <laughs> moments. I mean, that uh, Jack Jack the baby is just is just a hilarious character. Uh, saw Ju- Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. I uh, gave it a four out of ten. Uh, it's it's not good, but fine to watch, <laughs> but not good. Uh, Molly's Game. Finally watched that movie. Uh, six. I gave it a six out of ten. Pretty interesting. Um, I could have bumped it up to a seven, maybe. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an Aaron Sorkin movie. You can't go wrong. Saw Pacific Rim, the the new one, Uprising. Uh, did not like it. Gave it a three out of ten thought it was – the first Pacific Rim movie was kind of like uh, – it was good. The first Pacific Rim movie a few years ago was great because it was so straightforward. Like, it, it's basically a Transformers movie without all the stupid stuff. <laughs> like, the Transformers movies have a same problem as, like, the James Bond movies. Like, the Transformer movies are trying to be so self-important and just trying to, like, super elaborate – situations where pacific rim just said okay you got big monsters coming up out of the sea attacking the cities and then you got humans who put themselves in these giant robots and it and and they just battle it out that's just it's just that simple there's no bells it's just nothing other than that and so pacific rim was really refreshing because it was like oh okay that was fun you know and and it got high ratings i think because of that even for me But then Pacific Rim Uprising, it's just like, okay, that again, but not as good, like not nearly as good. Um, So there's all that stuff. I I watched the 1517 to Paris, gave it a 5 out of 10. This is a a true, true story uh, directed by Clint Eastwood about these veterans or um, military guys who are traveling around Europe And they're in Paris and uh, a terrorist gets on, this is a real story. He, a terrorist enters a train. They're on a train, um, you know, passenger car. And the, um, the terrorist has guns and bombs and stuff. And he, and these three uh, American military guys tackle him and, and detain him before he can kill anybody else. And, um, it's just this really heroic situation and the movie is stars the actual dudes who did it they actually Clint Eastwood if I'm understanding right he he Clint Eastwood actually um you know in the movie got the actual guys and so so the movie um starts off with them in training, and then they're traveling around Europe, and they're interacting, and they're meeting people. And um, it's just a lot of kind of bros interacting with each other. And I just found the movie to be just boring until the action. And then the end, there's the, um, that, you know, 15 minute sequence in, in which the terrorists. Um, tries to kill people on the train. And and that's fascinating. That whole scene is really interesting. But the rest of the movie, I just thought to be just like, you know, you you had a great premise of like, okay, I want to make a movie about this event that happened. But then you had to, but then whoever had to write this script had to like write an interesting script up until that moment. And there just wasn't anything interesting. (laughs) It just, it was, uh, I mean, it's a fine story for a documentary for sure, but not for a, you know, two hour movie. Um, watched Ali Wong's new, uh, Netflix special, Hard Knock Life on Netflix. And it is, it is, uh, uh, I was crying. It was so funny at certain points. Um, Ali Wong is hilarious. Eight out of 10. Uh, I've, I've probably talked with you about everything else. Oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, um, Tommy Wiseau, right? From The Room. Mm-hmm. Well, he and Greg Sestero got together to make another movie recently, and they released it. And so we went to our uh, artsy theater here in Seattle and watched it. It's called Best Friends, and it is a sort of – it's sort of an interest, it, I thought it I thought it was interesting. Uh, I gave it a 3 out of 10 because it's not a good movie, but I thought there were some interesting scenes – um. so for you Wiseau fans out there you've probably already seen it Um, there's certain parts of it that are just like oh is this is this sort of emulative of their real life I don't know what else can I talk about here I've probably already talked for too long so let's wrap it up That does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.